Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's weekly podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Chuck McFadden. Hello. A name you may recognize from uh, all the stories he's done for Capital Weekly. And also, Chuck, uh, just today finished up a look at Governor Brown's 16th and final state of the state for Capital Public Radio. You're one of the folks that dealt with that. Um, and, of course, you've done other journalistic things, and you've been a communications person at various agencies over the years. So, Chuck, thank you very much for coming today. Share with us um, what you thought about the state of the state. Well, it was a remarkably conventional state of the state uh, for Jerry Brown. It went uh, roughly 33 minutes, which is a little bit longer than Jerry usually uh, speaks. He uh, he went through, as most governors do, he went through a laundry list of uh, accomplishments uh, of his administration now that it's in its seventh year. Uh, he compared California before he became governor this last time with uh, the splendid situation that California is now in. Uh, it was a slightly indirect way of uh, boasting, but after all, if uh, if if you can't boast during a state of the state speech, especially your last state of the state speech. Uh, w- when can you do uh, a little bit of boasting? Has he done that earlier? Did, I mean, when his first one, uh, did he boast about being elected? Did he, how would you compare early on, not necessarily the very first one, but how would you compare him early on to the one you heard today? This one was perhaps slightly less worldview idealistic, yeah. a little bit more. Um, Oh, I don't know. A little bit more down and down and down in the weeds about yeah. public policy. Yeah. Not so much worldly idealism as the earlier Jerry used to talk a lot about. He's pushing. Um, uh, it was pushing the high-speed rail. Please get that approved. Is what he was. You know. Yes, indeed. He pushed high-speed rail pretty uh, pretty closely. In fact, Jerry Brown quoted Republican icon Ronald Reagan. Uh, quoted Reagan in support of uh, high-speed rail. Uh, Reagan was in Japan and had nice things to say about the Japanese bullet trains. And Jerry got a hold of that quote sometime, somehow and put it into his, uh, into his speech. Does he get the sense this is really a legacy thing for him? And also twin tunnels, you know, or one tunnel, the solitary tunnel that I guess is remaining on the delta from yeah, the water supply. But. We'll have to think of another name for it other than twin tunnels. <laughs> When he was first elected governor back in the early 70s, Jerry was not exactly scornful of his father Pat's uh, brick-and-mortar accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pat Brown, Jerry's father, you recall, opened three University of California campuses in one year, 1965. He also uh, built a canal, very much into building infrastructure. As I say, Jerry was not exactly scornful of that, but he was much interested in other things, promoting minorities and women into high positions in state government. Something he still does. Something he still does, something he is still interested in. But ironically, uh, part of Jerry's legacy, if not the major part of Jerry's legacy, if they happen, will be the twin or single tunnel and high-speed rail. 
both very much uh, brick and mortar infrastructure projects. So there's a little irony in the in the new old Jerry Brown. Is um, is the new old is the old old Jerry Brown <laughs> more attractive than the old new Jerry Brown? You know, in terms of experience, in terms of uh, you know acceptance by the public, he used to be quite a fireball, and he wasn't particularly well liked among the Democratic rank and file, um, particularly. So I just wonder, how does that? What is it like now for him? Well, he was then somewhat aloof from the legislature. I I think he regarded the legislature or most legislators as sort of tired political hacks, where he is he was a white night on a charger. Mm-hmm. Um, they felt that. They knew that he felt that way about them. Today, Jerry's much more pragmatic, much more a politician's politicians, if you will, mm-hmm. and he's much more, at least outwardly, he's much more cordial toward the, the legislature. Uh, during the course of his speech, his uh, state of the state speech, he, he told the Republicans that I'll have your back if they support his bullet train project, which drew a laugh from the assembled legislature. Uh, He also got, I think, three, maybe four, standing ovations from the assembled lawmakers, which I don't think he would have gotten that uh, 40 years ago. Is that kind of the lifetime achievement applause, standing ovation, or do they really, you know, historically this is his last one. until he runs for mayor of Calusa. I just had to get that in there. But this is his last one. So people are saying, hey, adios, Jerry. Uh, thanks for your service kind of thing. Or do they actually like what he's saying? I think they actually liked what he was saying. Yeah. I don't know how much of an all Lang Syne feeling there was in the assembly chamber during that speech. There yeah. might have been. Uh, I could only see it on a television monitor. But they did have lots of shots of the assembled uh, lawmakers and... Uh, they seemed very interested in what he was saying, but I don't know how much uh, nostalgia and sentiment there was mm-hmm, yeah. present. You think he regrets uh, not running for president? Oh, sure he does. Yeah. Sure he does. The fact. Wait, that I think he, he ran for president. He yeah, regrets I mean, not now, winning. He regrets president. not winning. He yeah, did run. I mean now. You know, in 2016, it seemed like, uh, of course, Hillary had it sewed up then, but, you know, 2020 isn't that far away, and he's only going to be in 2020... 81, 82? Well, he's going to turn 80 in April yeah. of this year. So three years, yeah, that's 83. Uh, Diane Feinstein, after all, is 84 and running for another term as senator. But you bet Jerry would dearly love to run for president, and he undoubtedly would if you could give him five years off of his age yeah. when he would be a mere 75. Uh, he would run. I'd have no doubt that he would dearly love to become president of the United States. And I harbor a private theory that somewhere in the back of his head, there's a wistful thought once in a while that he'd perhaps like to give it a fourth try. (laughs) Think he could do it? If he did, do you think he could win? Suppose he ran in 2020. That's a very interesting question. He'd have um, his age against him. He would have to overcome the split in the Democratic Party between the Bernie Kratz and the establishment. But Jerry's good at doing that sort of thing. He could be a, um, a very liberal uh, candidate, at the same time cultivating his already established reputation as being a skinflint. Mm-hmm. And who knows, that might appeal to 
a huge majority of Democrats and maybe even some Republicans as well. Who would be out there? Who do you think would be his toughest competition out there if he decided to do that? Well, we've all heard a lot about Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a Democratic senator from uh, Ohio named Sherrod Brown, mm -hmm. who you might keep an eye on. Um, there's a fellow named Adam Schiff, who is a Democratic House member from California. Who actually used to be here in Sacramento, and we covered him. And honestly, before he got a lot of attention with his position now in Congress, yeah, yeah. could barely remember him. He just is one of those. California has a lot of those, actually. They go to Washington, and they sort of disappear, and then they pop up later <laughs> in important roles, a la Kevin McCarthy, for example. A la Kevin McCarthy, yeah. a la Nancy Pelosi. Um, Used to be party chair here. Yeah, yeah. Um, there wouldn't be a lack of candidates to yeah. run against Jerry, and there wouldn't be a lack of candidates to call attention to the fact that he was 83 years old. What I did hear, I think I just saw some noise that John Kerry is now exploring a run. And I think Biden is still yeah. thinking about yeah. it. So there'd be yeah. some people right in hit that age range. Yeah. Um, both of those people, uh, Kerry and Biden, uh, would I think also like to be president someday. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll bet all of them think that Donald Trump by then would be an easy target to knock off. They may be sadly mistaken in that, but I believe that's what they think. You think any of the uh, Governor Moonbeam baggage pops up again? I know Mike Royko, who tagged him with that, later apologized, but you think that comes back again? Is that the national perception of Jerry Brown is he's kind of a flake and kind of, you know, wood chips to windmills and diamond lanes, all of which, by the way, are, and private space travel is the other one. They're all uh, existing facts right now. He was way ahead of his time. Does that play, does that help him or hurt him? Yet? Strangely enough, uh, the Moonbeam nickname today might help Jerry. If you, if you ascribe to the theory that the public voters are looking for something new and different and thrilling, yeah. uh, maybe Jerry's ideas about the future, and maybe he would mention a lot of it in a campaign, that might be very appealing to a lot of people. Uh, it might also make him appear younger and make people perhaps forget that he is, after all, uh, 83 years old if he were to run. Uh, an 83-year-old talking about the wild blue yonder and future projects, well, that might be a combination, a one-two combination that would be winning for him. You think being from the West helps him or hurts him? Being from California, does that play? I, everything I hear in, across the country, except in the Northeast, I think, is... ABC anywhere but California, anything but California. Somebody, I forget who, did a poll about two years ago. And the poll ranked states in terms of their popularity among the general public of the nation. And guess which state finished at the rock bottom? <laughs> Our own California. Really? Really. So... While haters, uh, yeah. well, yeah, they're envious. Well, <laughs> who else has earthquakes, mudslides, and it's pretty Santa Ana's? It's pretty to think that they're envious of California. Uh, do you remember which state was at the top? Uh, Hawaii, okay, that's hard to argue with. Hawaii, yeah, I can, hard to argue with. I that. could go for that, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. But California was below, I mean. I'm sure there are wonderful people like, you know, in Missouri and Mississippi, yep. Florida, my pick for the worst state in the nation, by the way, is Florida. Florida. So personally Florida. informed. Yes. Oh. Personally, professionally, and otherwise, Florida is a swamp down south. Florida has 
flying cockroaches. John, we're losing our Florida yes. listeners right now. Yes, right we're now. losing. Just right off Florida, John. Our nine, our nine listeners in Miami just bailed out. But, uh, but it's amazing. Uh, so California is really at the bottom of this. It was at the bottom. Yeah. You know, I wonder, though, if maybe you were in your own state, you couldn't vote. So maybe the 39 million Californians immediately we lost because we lost 39 million voters, a percentage of voters, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe the Californians were uh, able to vote in that uh, or participate. That would be an interesting and unique approach. Like, oh, the worst state, my own. My own. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, while it's true that Jerry would be coming from the state that a poll ranked as the worst state in the union, it's also true that Jerry would have a whole lot of electoral votes in his pocket. Yeah. Uh, so how much good that would do him? But basically that could be said of almost any Democratic candidate, frankly. Uh, that's true. I mean, true. the idea that's of a Republican taking, yeah. taking California in a presidential election year would be, I mean, it's possible. Certainly if Schwarzenegger would have run, I think we might have seen it. Yeah, it's, it's hard to think of a Democratic candidate who wouldn't have California in his pocket or her pocket. Um, you know, I think his dad was a favorite son candidate. It was. He yeah. was. Yeah. Um, and I can't help but think that Pat, although he went as a figurative figurehead favorite son candidate, I still think Pat Brown harbored in the back of his head how nice it would be to be president. But we'll never know for sure. Is there anybody out there in the younger... Well, you mentioned Kamala Harris. I guess... Uh, Kamala, Sherrod Brown, Cory Booker is another one that's, that's right. getting a lot of attention yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the older ones seem to be more, have more gravitas. Somebody like a Biden, who I think probably missed his opportunity. Maybe he's too old now, although he doesn't seem to think so, and I haven't heard that used against him yet. Um, well, well, and Bernie Sanders, Bernie I don't Sanders. believe, thinks he's too old. Yeah. Now, how yeah. old is Bernie now? He's 74. 74. Yeah, so yeah. he would be 70. How does he 74 and looks 85? He'll be a mere sprite compared to, <laughs> compared Jerry. to Jerry Brown. That's right. And probably right. Biden, too. Well, Biden, I think, is what, 72, something like that? I think he might be, I don't know. I think he's older. I think he's older. Are we seeing an emerging split between very young Democratic hopefuls and very old? I think we, we've seen some splitting between millennials and the olders, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Although the millennials love Bernie Sanders, yeah. so figure that one out. Yeah, well, he's the progressive, smart candidate, whereas Hillary yeah. was the other one. You know, so I'm just saying I'd get Tim's ire up. So well, that's <laughs> totally true. <laughs> Absolutely true. Are there any issues in California you think that um, we've solved that other? If Brown ran, that people across the country go, God, he did that. He uh, he balanced a budget. and They got a six billion dollar reserve. That's right, and that's something that Jerry would not be hesitant about bragging about. He <laughs> boasts about how the state was in such dire financial straits when he yeah. walked into the office for his final two terms as governor. Uh, and now we have a, uh, I think it's seven billion dollar surplus, half of which he wants to put into a rainy day fund. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jerry loves being a fiscal scold. And he likes being styled as the only adult in the room in the face of this wildly spending Democratic legislature he has to deal with. Uh, and that does him a lot of good politically. I think he, um, he has a long enough memory to remember the obscene surplus of 1975, 76, 74, 75, 70, that era. Uh, and I did a little due diligence here, just a very little. And that $6 billion then translates into about $26 billion now, according to the inflation calculator. Um, obscene. And, obscene. Obscene. Absolutely obscene. But 
the, the what he's got now through 2019, according to the budget documents, is a $19 billion surplus. So it's actually less in real dollars than it was then. And maybe, you know, he's, maybe you can't tag that, put that obscene surplus tag on him. Uh, people, I think, Republicans, I think, would like to have already seen comment about return it to the people. Same kind of thing you heard. Yeah, in, yeah, you know, send it back. Send it back. Send yeah. it back. One of the things which probably isn't all that important, but I noticed it nonetheless on the television monitor. Uh, after Jerry gave the speech, he had the usual cluster of fellow politicians around shaking his hand, clapping him on the back and all of that. But way off to the side, almost alone, stood Gavin Newsom. Now, that may not be significant, uh, Gavin may have been talking to people and happened to be on the side because he was doing that, but it was noticeable. Mm-hmm. And the usual thing for the lieutenant governor to do, uh, the person who introduced Jerry, after all, is to be part of the cluster of politicians around the governor after the uh, State of the State speech. But Gavin was not there, at least during the time I saw him on the monitor. Was there any sense at the event that he's the heir apparent? I think there probably was among the viewers. Um, He looked good on the TV set uh, introducing Jerry, very Uh, handsome and assured and all of that. Uh, And Gavin, I think, think seized the moment, Mm -hmm. which is uh, a a chance uh, to get on statewide TV. Uh, Chuck, just one last question. How would you rank this, uh, compare this with other states of the state that you've seen? Or you've heard is this does this stand out one way or the other it sounds a little bit lackluster just from you know standing back from it in terms of what he said there was no no uh, latin allusions you know uh, he did not drop a single latin phrase in this speech and there was no mention by the way of donald trump uh he referred to him as the current president but he did not say donald trump in terms of uh, historical comparisons, this was a, for Jerry, a remarkably standard speech. He bragged about his administration's accomplishments. He uh, took a bow in all of the usual directions. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a pretty, for Jerry, standard speech. It was not all that unique. It didn't uh, meet the uh, standard of a Jerry Brown uniqueness. Mm-hmm. It was a fairly, as I say, a fairly standard speech, although it did go 33 minutes, which is a little bit long for a Jerry speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Chuck McFadden, thank you very much for being here. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for doing that. Tim Foster, thank you. Thank you. And I'm John Howard. We'll see you next time around. Thank you. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.